Absolutely. The problem with Bernie Sanders is that he has the exact same message he had four years ago. Marcos Melitzis was on MSNBC with Chuck Todd to, of course, bash Bernie Sanders. That's what this guy does. <laughs> I mean, he's the, the founder of the Daily Coast, a website that, you know, 15 years ago may have been a place that people went to read about left-wing politics or liberal politics. Not anymore. I don't know anybody on the left that reads or sources or goes to the Daily Coast. I mean, it's it's completely fell off the face of the earth. So if people still go there, then it's because Marcos appears on MSNBC. That is the only reason. So maybe people in the center read the website. But nobody I know that's actually on the left reads this site. And the reason I'm telling you this is because Chuck Todd presents Marcos as a representative of left-wing politics, which is just completely absurd. So watch this clip where he's asked about <laughs> Bernie Sanders. What do you make of the Bernie Sanders observation by Doug Thornell? Has, has Warren basically eclipsed Sanders in your world of sort of progressive, um, fundamental economic change politics? Yeah, absolutely. The problem with Bernie Sanders is that he has the exact same message he had four years ago. And that message didn't get him to victory four years ago. Not sure why he's not trying to calibrate that, particularly in this field. And one of the arguments his supporters make and the campaign is making, too, is that everybody is, quote, stealing his message, as though maybe Bernie invented liberalism. But point aside, <laughs> Bernie deserves a lot of credit for mainstreaming a yes. lot of those ideas. But he has done nothing to build his own base of support. And why stick with Bernie, who's as divisive as he is, when there are more appealing, uh, inclusive candidates uh, in the field? And there's a mm -hmm. bunch to choose from. Yeah. Total bullshit. Everything. Everything said there. Total bullshit. <laughs> so let me go through some of this. Um, uh, Chuck Todd starts his conversation, again, as I said, representing or showcasing Marcos as a representative of progressive politics saying, oh, how is Bernie playing in your world, your world of progressive politics? Marcos does not represent us. Marcos is not progressive. He's not left wing. He is a representative of corporate Democrats. That's what he is. I mean, I'm going to get to that in a minute here of why Marcos is pushing this uh, these attacks on Bernie Sanders. But so first of all, let's just dispel the idea that Marcos is part of the left. He's not. And on top of that, okay, <laughs> there's a lot really to go over here. But Marcos uh, kind of refers to Bernie as a liberal. I mean, taking a shot at him uh, saying there how, oh, Bernie's acting like, you know, he invented liberal politics. Bernie's not liberal. He is left wing. Liberal in my mind is another word for neoliberal, neoliberal politics, this this centrist politics, this moderate politics, these corporate Democrats representing actual uh, or actually representing the, the wealthy and and massive corporations. That's what liberal politics is. Bernie Sanders is not liberal. He is a social Democrat or as he calls himself, a democratic socialist. That's what Bernie is. He's not liberal. But moving on from there, I just want to share... Um, this tweet from Mika Utrecht, he's the managing editor of uh, a Jacobin, a website that people on the left actually read. So he tweets out, why does Chuck Todd have Marcos on as some kind of representative of the American left today? He's not, as you see in this clip, where his role is actually to punch left. He's far to the right of where the real left wing energy in American politics is. Bring an actual socialist on. So that sums it up. 
This is somebody, Mika Utrecht, who is an actual leftist. Marcos is not. <laughs> Moving on from that, let's go to his, his arguments here. So Marcos says, um, why stick with Bernie, divisive as he is? Divisive. Bernie Sanders. Anytime somebody says this, and people say this a lot on television, they never back it up with anything. They don't explain how. Why is he divisive? Why aren't you being divisive when you attack the left, when you attack Bernie Sanders, when you attack somebody who supports policies and pushes policies forward like Medicare for All, like tuition-free public college, like, America, like ending American interventionalism abroad, like raising taxes on the wealthy and large corporations, uh, like wanting to raise wages to, to 15 bucks an hour. Why aren't you somebody that's divisive? All of those policies I just listed are supported by the vast majority of Democrats. And also, many of them are supported by the majority of people in America, regardless of their political persuasion. So this idea that Bernie is divisive when he is actually with the American people on the policies, and you are not, and you're fighting against that, who's the actual divisive one here? This is, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to go to this, this image here. This is the Nancy Pelosi Roses guy. This is the guy that bought, I don't even know what the number is, but thousands of roses for Nancy Pelosi for I don't know what. I mean, this is somebody who is a total status quo politician. The entire party and the, the base of the party want to see more pressure put on Donald Trump and move for impeachment hearings. But you have Nancy Pelosi stopping that. This is who Marco supports. Marco supports the guy that is actually allowing Donald Trump to continue what he is doing, allowing somebody to break the law, allowing the president to break the law and get away with it. That's what Marco supports. I mean, th the idea that this guy is put on television to represent the left is just batshit crazy. But moving on from that, his other argument here, <laughs> maybe the, the dumbest one of all of them. Bernie has the exact same message as four years ago. This is somehow supposed to be an attack. Bernie is too consistent. Oh, why is Bernie so consistent? We're so used to politicians just changing their mind, just listening to, to what people are saying and then pretending that they also represent those positions. Meanwhile, you have Bernie Sanders here just saying the same things four years ago, like, uh, you know, <laughs> like somebody that actually cares about these issues. I mean, it's hilarious that this is used as an attack. Bernie Sanders is consistent. And it's not just four years ago. It's as uh, Yusuf uh, Mayaner uh, points out here. This is wrong because Sanders has had the same message for 50 years, not four. Imagine thinking lifelong consistency in fighting against economic inequality is a bad thing. So this is the issue here. <laughs> Bernie Sanders is incredibly consistent yet they're construing that as a negative. The way that they're reporting on politics here on MSNBC is looking at this like sports. They're thinking, oh, why isn't Bernie using a different defensive strategy or different offensive strategy than last time? I mean, it didn't work last time, so why isn't he changing his strategy depending on you know what's happening? Bernie Sanders is fighting for people. He actually cares about the issues. He actually cares about people. He actually cares to push back against the powerful. That's why his message is the same. He's had the same message for decades. This is who Bernie Sanders is. He's not just a typical politician. He actually cares about these issues. That is a plus. That is not a minus. So as Bernie tweets out here, my skeptics often accuse me of being boring, of hammering the same themes. 
They are probably right. It's never made sense to me that a few people have incredible wealth and power while most have none. Should we ever achieve justice, I promise I'll write some new speeches. (laughs) So there you go. Bernie is consistent because he actually cares to change things. Uh, Another attack here. Why stick with Bernie? So I kind of touched on this uh, earlier. Yeah, why stick with Bernie as divisive as he is? So (laughs) the real reason why Bernie has so much support I hope is obvious, but it's it, it's apparently not obvious to people on television because they're they're trying to push uh, a certain narrative. Bernie has and continues to have all the support for a variety of reasons. For one, he supports the policies that I listed, including many more. But on top of that, people know they can trust him because he's been consistent for as long as he has. He's been fighting for people for as long as he has. People know they can actually trust Bernie on these issues. And on top of that, they know they can trust him because he's only taking money from individual donors. He's not having private fundraisers with a special interest. He's not taking corporate money. He's only taking money from individual donors. So you know he cannot be bought off or paid off by anybody else. And on top of all that, he has this idea of a political revolution, of understanding that if you actually want to change things, if you actually want to strip power away from the people that currently have it, from all the concentrated power and wealth at the top, then you need a people-powered movement. You need people from outside of Congress pushing, uh, putting pressure on the politicians in Washington to actually get things done. He understands that. So he has the strategy in addition to having the correct policies. This is why Bernie Sanders has as much support as he does. I mean, looking after the first debate, who has the highest favorability ratings? So we take a look at the first debate uh, where you had Elizabeth Warren. She uh, has the highest right there in the first debate with the 73% support now. Um, but you go to the second debate, Bernie Sanders has the highest favorability rating, 75.4%. I mean, this is clear. Bernie Sanders has support and his support actually grew after that first debate. So... I did a whole breakdown on that debate. I didn't know if Bernie's support would... um, uh, I figured it would maintain. I mean, it it sort of kind of did. I mean, once you get to uh, in the mid-70s here, it's hard to grow your support or grow your uh, favorability any further. But he did. Meanwhile, Biden went down. So it's showing you when Bernie's hammering the consistent message as he did in that debate, he's still able to grow his support. Now... The attacks that Marcos is launching on Bernie Sanders are obviously BS. So why is Marcos doing them? Here's why. This uh, tweet from a contributing writer to The Guardian, Michael uh, Sanato, uh, tweets out, Marcos stands to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in consulting slash coast media fees if Bernie wins the nomination. That's it. It's about money. It's about his own power. Marcos is is within those powerful circles in Washington. He is respected by people like Chuck Todd. So if Marcos loses out here, if he bets on the wrong horse, if he bets on somebody, um, or if if you have someone like Bernie Sanders come into power that is willing to challenge the existing power structures, including the existing consultant class, of which Marcos is a part of, then Marcos stands to lose a lot of power and money. That's what this is actually about. Marcos is a fraud. He is not a leftist. He is simply there to push a particular narrative that 
involves pushing back against anybody that's challenging his power and his wealth and anybody in his circles and their power and their wealth. So that is why Marcos is on television uh, essentially trying to create this this phony narrative around Bernie Sanders that he is not popular among the left, which is so completely <laughs> BS if you look at any number. But that's why he's on television, to push this narrative, to trick people into thinking that Bernie is not actually the candidate of the left, to try and suppress support for him from the middle of the country that maybe watches uh, MSNBC. And when I say middle of the country, I mean people that don't normally pay attention to what's going on in politics. So that's why he's there. And on top of that, you have someone like Chuck Todd who does not absorb new information. I mean, I did a video when AOC was on um, Chuck Todd's show, I think a few months ago. And basically, AOC dispelled the idea that the, uh, the, the center of the country is wants conservative policy. So th there's always this idea that, oh, you have the left, and then you have the right, and then people in the center, you want to appeal to those people in the center by being more moderate. That's not the reality. The reality is politics right now is so far to the right that the Democratic Party right now is center-right. And you have a, millions of people in the country, almost half of the country, not voting. They aren't engaged in politics. They are sitting on the couch or, or completely disengaged from politics because they don't have a party that actually speaks for them. They don't have politicians that actually speak for them. So when you have a politician out there that is fighting back against the powerful and fighting for them, then you can get those people out to vote for you. So the entire narrative around, oh, the center of the country, you have to be moderate, should have been completely exposed in 2016 when Hillary Clinton was the perfect centrist candidate and she lost to a clown. That right there should have showed people this is not the way to go. But instead, they keep pushing the same narrative. And even after AOC is on Chuck Todd's show explaining to his face that uh, this, this entire myth of, of the center of the country, he does not absorb that information and learn from it because they are paid to push particular narratives. And Marcos being on the channel or being on um, this, uh, this show with, with Chuck Todd just helped to push that bullshit narrative. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez toured a uh, Customs and Border Patrol facility, and her reporting from what's happening in there is just disgusting. So, look, I hate covering these stories because they are so depressing, but I have to cover this. People need to know what is going on inside of these border facilities. So, uh, first off here, AOC tweets out, Now I've seen inside the facilities. It's not just the kids. It's everyone. People drinking out of toilets. Officers laughing in front of members of Congress. I brought it up to their superiors. They said, quote, officers are under stress and act out sometimes, end quote. No accountability. Drinking from toilets. This is going on in front of members of Congress. People are being treated like garbage. That's what's going on here. I mean, look, there's so much more I'm going to get to here, but... Ask yourself, if you're really having trouble understanding this, ask yourself, who's going to be on the right side of history? Looking back at this going on, who do you think will be on the right side of history? The Border Patrol agents telling people to drink out of toilets or the people trying to fight back against that? This is not hard. Now, I'm going to show uh, this video from California Congresswoman, uh, Congresswoman Judy Chu. Uh, she was also uh, touring these facilities and discussed what she saw. 
We just left the El Paso Border Patrol Station and now we're going to the Clint Border Patrol Station. But what we saw was appalling and disgusting. Uh, we talked to a group of women uh, detainees who said that they didn't have running water, that uh, uh, one was an epileptic and she couldn't get her medication. They were separated from their children. They'd been there over 50 days. Uh, one woman said that uh, the Border Patrol agent told her to, to, if she wanted water, just to drink from a toilet. And um, uh, we also were there just as a CBP Facebook group posted that they wanted to throw burritos at the Congress members and then had a very derogatory image of, of uh, one of our Congress members, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. If, if they have these kind of derogatory feelings about us, you can only imagine what they're thinking about these detainees. These are the ones who are in charge of them. Well, there, there seriously has to be some change. Okay, so um, just working off what uh, Congresswoman Chu said there at the end of the video, where she brought up how there is a, there's a, a, a Facebook group of... Uh, border control agents where let me just show you the headline here so this is this reporting was from ProPublica came out the same day that they're touring these facilities inside the secret border patrol Facebook group where agents joke about migrant deaths and post sexist memes the three-year-old group which has roughly 9,500 members shared derogatory comments about Latina lawmakers who plan to visit a controversial Texas detention facility on Monday calling them scum buckets and hoes now, there's a lot more to this. I'm not going to go into it, uh, but I'll have a link to that article below the video, and you'll be disgusted. That's all I'm going to say. Now, this group has 9,500 members, which is half of how many border agents there are in the country. So in total, there's about 20,000 border agents uh, across the U.S. This Facebook group has, has half of those members. Half of the people that are border agents are in this Facebook group, engaged in these kinds of conversations. Now, more from AOC's experience here in uh, these facilities. After I forced myself into a cell with a woman and began speaking to them, one of them described their treatment at the hands of officers as psychological warfare, waking them at odd hours for no reason, calling them whores, etc. Tell me what about this is due to lack of funding. So again, I mean, going off the fact that migrants are being told to drink out of toilets, obviously there is going to be more psychological warfare on top of that. So whether it's waking them up at odd hours or calling them whores, I mean, there is absolutely a lot more going on in these facilities than even these tweets are, are um, aware of or that AOC is aware of. Now, the lack of the funding comment is actually referring to a, uh, the, the House passing a Senate bill that does not deal with the injustice that is actually going on uh, in these facilities. So AOC was on CNN a few days ago discussing this.
We passed a House version of this bill, which had far more humanitarian provisions and accountability for the facilities that are abusing kids at our border. And Mitch McConnell immediately smacked it down in order to pass and ram through a Senate bill that has an enormous amount of funding for military, as well as no guardrails and no accountability for facilities that are abusing our kids. So that's the bill that's in front of us here in front of the House. However, we didn't even bother to negotiate. There are House amendments. We could have negotiated it in. We could have conferenced. We could have tried to get amendments in to get humanitarian provisions put in, to get consequences for facilities that abuse kids in. And instead, what we're doing is that we're immediately going to just saying yes to what got passed out of the Senate. So as usual, Democratic leaders have no spine. So oftentimes when I, you know, criticize the Democratic Party, it's because they aren't fighting for progressive policies like Medicare for all, for example. But this isn't even that. This is just the bare minimum. This is just being human. Fighting for toothpaste and soap for children. Fighting so that there's accountability at the facilities that are mistreating people. This isn't hard stuff. And they aren't even willing to do that. So, uh, one more tweet here from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying... Now I'm on my way to Clint, where uh, the Trump admin was denying children toothpaste and soap. This has been horrifying so far. It is hard to understate the enormity of the problem. We're talking systemic cruelty with a dehumanizing culture that treats them like animals. I ask you again, who do you think will be on the right side of history? Is it, is it bad for the Democratic Party to say socialism is a bad thing? If we don't clearly define that we are not socialists, the Republicans are going to come at us every way they can and, def- and call us socialists. All right, sit back and let me tell you the story of how Morning Joe ruined John Hickenlooper's campaign. So before we get any farther, let me just start with the conclusion to all of this. Hickenlooper campaign in shambles. Senior staffers asked the former Colorado governor to drop out of the presidential race and run for Senate. Now, I'm going to uh, quote this article later on in the video, but understand here, Hickenlooper has not dropped out yet, but it's very likely that John Hickenlooper will drop out at some point because his campaign is indeed in shambles. But why is it in shambles already? So this is a story that I picked up on because I've sort of been following uh, Hickenlooper since he announced his run and went on Morning Joe, where this happened. Are you concerned about some factions of your party embracing socialism? (laughs) Well, I think there's the Democratic Party is a big tent. Uh, And that's one of the things I've always loved about the Democratic Party is there are all kinds of ideas. Well, would you call yourself would you call yourself a proud capitalist? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, you know, again, the labels, I'm not sure uh, any of them fit. I'll break it down even more. Do you consider yourself a capitalist? Well, again, the labels, you know, I'm a small business person. So uh, that part of the system that you would call capitalist, I get it. I understand it. Do you consider yourself a capitalist and does capitalism work? Well, I think I... I I don't look at myself with a label. Uh, And I certainly think that small business is part of the solution. 
I'm frightened that you're in a position where it's hard for you to come out and say, I am a capitalist. We are a capitalist society. Governor, There's I just want to interject. Can't we say socialism? Is it, is it bad for the Democratic Party to say socialism is a bad thing? <clears throat> That's not who we are? Well, we have always, at one, I mean, when we had Social Security, people used to at, that, at some point say, That's some form of socialism. All right. So, again. That was the day after John Hickenlooper announced his run for president. He appeared on Morning Joe, and they bombarded him with questions about socialism and capitalism, and why won't you call yourself a, cash, uh, a capitalist? And Hickenlooper there clearly was not into taking a side. He didn't care about labels. He didn't want to have that fight. But they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And the segment after that segment, the Morning Joe crew openly mocked Hickenlooper for not being able to say he's a capitalist in the previous segment. Willie, I just got a text from uh, one of the smartest people I know in politics who said, oh, my God, the Democratic Party's in crisis. They've gotten to a point where an American success story can't even say he's a capitalist. Yeah, that was extraordinary. I thought Governor Hickenlooper, who has done very well in life because he started up this beer company in Denver, became mayor, became the governor of the state, has benefited from capitalism. He couldn't say that he was a capitalist because he was worried about that label. I My God, if you're afraid to say you're a capitalist in America, I'm just going to tell you, people on the left tweeting today may not like it. Let me just let me let you in on a little secret. If that is a crisis for your party, you're going to lose in 2020. I find Donald Trump reprehensible as a human being, but a socialist candidate is more dangerous to this company, country as far as the strength and well-being of our country than Donald Trump. I would vote for Donald Trump, a despicable human being. Mm. No, I, you I, won't. I, I, let me tell you Stop something. Stop yourself. Let, let me correct myself. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Always help myself. <laughs> All right. Now, I covered that exchange in a previous video uh, at the time when when this whole discussion went on. So, I mean, just to pull out one quote from that hilarious uh, series of clips where Donnie Deutsch goes and says, uh, a socialist is more dangerous to this company, country than Donald Trump. Donnie Deutsch runs an ad company. He's an ad executive. He has lots and lots of money. That's why he's worried about socialism. But apart from that, after Hickenlooper was openly mocked, questioned again and again, why won't you call yourself a capitalist? Do you think socialism is the, is the right direction? And then they, they mock him afterwards in the next segment. Hickenlooper, following all that, changed his strategy. So here's a few examples. Uh, this from a Business Insider. Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper and former Representative John Delaney have both made bashing socialism a strategy to drum up media attention. Hickenlooper, if we don't define that we're not socialists, the Republicans will call us socialists. And here are a series of clips showcasing how all of a sudden Hickenlooper is very concerned about the word socialism. Socialism isn't the answer. You know, this crisis of division is taking the country backwards. And but I don't think socialism is the answer. Right. If you come out forcefully against socialism. If we want to beat Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, Socialism is not the answer. I was reelected. The bottom line is if we don't clearly define that we are not socialists, the Republicans are going to come at us every way they can and, def and call us socialists. So Hickenlooper openly mocked about not taking on socialism, not calling himself a capitalist. 
changes his strategy after feeling, I assume, embarrassed from that appearance on Morning Joe, even though I think, obviously, Morning Joe and their uh, critique, their, they were incorrect, they were wrong, clearly. But following all that, Hickenlooper changed his strategy, embracing labels all of a sudden. The guy that once hated labels, oh, I don't think we should call ourselves capitalists or socialists, let's not worry about these labels, I don't like these labels. All of a sudden, taking on these labels, and how did he do? <laughs> well, checking the poll average today on Real Clear Politics, he's not even listed in the top 20. I mean, he's not on this page. So I went to this page to see where he was in the polling average. He's not even there. I mean, you have Williamson, Delaney, and Tim Ryan polling above John Hickenlooper. So John Hickenlooper must be under 0.1% support in the polls. And it's as bad as it sounds. <laughs> so more from the political article that I showed you earlier. Here is uh, how, he's do how his campaign is doing so far. The source said that the campaign only has about 13,000 donors, making it almost impossible to qualify for the next round of presidential debates in the fall. The campaign also only raised just over $1 million in the second quarter, about what he raised in the first, in the first 48 hours of his candidacy and will likely run out of money completely in about a month. At least five staffers have left or are leaving Hickenlooper's struggling operation, including his campaign manager, communications director, digital director, and finance director. Hickenlooper named a new campaign manager on Monday night. Hickenlooper publicly blamed his former staff Tuesday for his failure to gain traction in the crowded Democratic primary. Blamed his staff. Hickenlooper, it's not the staff. It's you. It's you and this horrible strategy of attacking the base of the Democratic Party. Clearly, it hasn't worked out for you. And just to give you, you know, some context here for how terrible these fundraising numbers are. So Hickenlooper has 13,000 individual donors, only raised $1 million in the second quarter. Compare that to Bernie Sanders, who, by the way, is only raising money from individual donors, no private fundraisers, no, uh, no, no corporate money. Bernie's campaign is almost at 1 million individual donors, and they raised 18 million in the second quarter. 1 million individual donors compared to 13,000, and almost uh, and 18 million compared to 1 million for John Hickenlooper. The bottom line here is Morning Joe, at least in part, is to blame for John Hickenlooper's complete failure of a 2020 campaign. Do not take campaign advice from Morning Joe. People don't like their private insurance companies. They like their doctors and hospitals. There are a couple new polls out that show us Bernie Sanders is the only candidate to trust when it comes to the issue of health care. The second poll in particular, I think, really showcases that. But this first one, I thought the result was obvious. Maybe you, you will think it's uh, not as obvious. But CNN poll, Democrats see Sanders as the best to handle health care. So the reason I think that's obvious is because Bernie Sanders has been the one hammering the issue of health care. He's been the one informing Americans about Medicare for all and how America is the only developed country without a universal health care system. So to me, it just makes sense that Democrats would see Sanders as the best to handle health care. But then again, I mean, when it comes to the media and how they portray him and Medicare for all, I guess you can see a scenario where people might not think that. But that isn't even the poll that I find the most interesting. What I find the most interesting is the next poll that I'm going to get to in a minute. So let me set it up. There is this narrative that, well, 
if you tell the American people, sure, Medicare for all polls very popular. The majority of Americans want a Medicare for all system. But if you tell them that with a Medicare for all system, they're going to lose their private insurance. Well, all of a sudden, they don't want their Medicare for all system because they love their private insurance company. But you didn't tell them that when they lose their private insurance, it's replaced by a better insurance. It's replaced by Medicare for all which guarantees them more, which has no out-of-pocket expenses, which allows them to move jobs. Maybe they want to leave their job. Maybe they want to start a business, but they're afraid to because they have great health care through their employer. I mean, there are endless benefits to a Medicare for All system that obviously is not communicated through a poll. So before I get to the poll, let me just uh, show you a clip here of Bernie in the debate making the same point that when you tell people what they actually get, how they really aren't losing anything with Medicare for all, then people would love it. You know, Mike, Medicare is the most popular I health agree. insurance program in the country. People don't like their private insurance companies. They like their doctors and hospitals. Under our plan, people go to any doctor they want, any hospital they want. We will substantially lower the cost of health care in this country because we'll stop the greed of the insurance companies. So I thought that was a point that needed to be made in that debate. Now, again, to me, this is obvious. Maybe it's because I'm in Canada and I have health care. So I already know all of these things. But... It had to be made because people, uh, for whatever reason, I mean, if you're polled on healthcare about Medicare for All and you're told that you lose your private insurance with Medicare for All, you should assume that you're going to have the Medicare for All. I mean, that's why you're losing private insurance. But it oftentimes has to be spelled out for people because they aren't, look, people aren't really engaged in these issues. So you have to actually tell them what they're going to get or what they're not going to get depending on whatever system. So finally, finally, there is a poll out that asks voters this very question, asks them or tells them that, do you support Medicare for all if you lose your private insurance, but it allows you to keep your doctor and your healthcare providers? Well, here are the results. Majority of voters support phasing out private plans if they can keep their providers. So looking at the, uh, the dark blue bars here, a Medicare for all system that diminishes the role of private insurance but allows you to keep your doctor and hospital. All voters support it with 55% support. Democrats support it with 78% support. Independents support it with 56% support. And Republicans are still brainwashed by <laughs> conservative media. But this is the poll we've all been waiting for. Finally, an honest poll about Medicare for all that, yes, when you lose your private insurance, you can still retain your doctor and your hospital because a Medicare for all system puts everybody on the same plan. So why would you lose your doctor? You wouldn't. But again, a lot of this stuff has to be actually communicated to people for them to get it. So under a Medicare for all system, there is just endless benefits. And every time I talk about it, I forget things because, again, I live in the system, so it's hard to really... Uh, remember all the benefits because I don't have to think about healthcare ever. It's never on my mind because when I need it, it's there. So under Medicare for All system, again, you're not stuck to an employer. If you have healthcare through your uh, employer, 
you no longer would through a Medicare for all system and you are free then to maybe leave your job if you don't like it, maybe leave your job if you want to start a business or just do whatever. <laughs> so say you want to do a completely different career path, but you have great private insurance, you are now free to lose your job and still have health care. It's free at the point of use. Again, no out-of-pocket expenses. It's uh, for 99% of people will cost less through your taxes than you currently pay to a private insurance company. So this point is important because a lot of people think, oh, my taxes are going to go up. It's going to cost me more. Yeah, your taxes are going to go up, but you're not going to have private insurance anymore. So you'll actually be paying less, way less through your taxes in, in most cases than you would be to a, a private insurance company, unless you are the wealthiest. So if you are in the top 1%, you likely will be paying more through your taxes to help the rest of the country out because that's how societies exist. That's, I mean, taxes pay for the things that we need to create a society, a, a healthy, vibrant society that we live in. So if you're making millions and millions and millions of dollars, hopefully you're okay with paying a little bit more in taxes so that everybody else in the country has healthcare. Um, and overall here, it cuts down costs across the board. So because everybody's on the same plan, you take out the profit-making middleman, costs, uh, the cost of, of healthcare is down across the board. So these are just, again, a few examples of benefits under a universal healthcare system. I have universal healthcare in Canada. I even had to have surgery once a few years ago. It was a very quick and easy process. Uh, because it was minor surgery, I had to wait just a few weeks to be able to, or sorry, a few months to be able to get uh, the, the surgery, but it was minor surgery. In America, I mean, the, the whole thing about wait times is hilarious. There's this whole false narrative around wait times in Canada or any universal system. Oh, there's these huge wait times. I talk with Americans. They also have wait times. <laughs> so what what's the difference here? The, the, the actual difference is that in Canada, if you need healthcare, I mean, if you need life-saving surgery, you're going to get it. You don't have to wait for that. Healthcare is delivered based on your need for the healthcare, not based on if you have money or not. So that is the main difference between America and Canada on healthcare. In Canada, you get healthcare when you need it. It's prioritized to those that need it. In America, it's prioritized to those that have money. That's the main difference here. So when it comes to, I mean, doctor visits. So a lot of Americans don't have this. But I can call my doctor the same day and have an appointment. So say I wake up, I'm not feeling well. I want to see the doctor. I just call the doctor's office in the morning. They make an appointment. I see the doctor later on the day. I mean, <laughs> it's that simple. So there is so much misinformation out there about, you know, these universal systems or wait times or whatever. Don't believe the BS. There is a reason why when all these countries move to a universal system, they don't move back to a private-based insurance, uh, a private insurance-based system. If universal healthcare was that horrible, all of these countries would be going back to a different system. They're not. It's time to get with the times. America needs a Medicare for all system. We are calling on our people to put their bodies on the line. Just stop ice. Over 30 Jewish activists were arrested while protesting an ICE detention center in New Jersey. Now, these protesters were part of the group Never Again Action, and they partnered with immigrant rights group Movimento Cosecha, and uh, they were arrested for blocking the entrance to the ICE facility. Now, before I get to more details on why they did this, let me play uh, a clip from that protest. 
We are calling on our people to put their bodies on the line. Just stop ice. for many, many years, and for those years they've been criminalized, they've been dehumanized, but yet we are here strong and powerful. Never again! Close the camp! Never again means never again for anyone. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? This is just the beginning of many never again actions across the country. Which side are you on? Which side are you on, my people? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, my people? Which side are you on? So there you go. I'll have a uh, a link to the Never Again Action website uh, below my video as well, so you can easily get there. Now, this is the kind of story that I don't know how to react <laughs> to it because, look, on one hand, this is very encouraging to see people doing this. This is fantastic. On the other hand, they shouldn't have to be doing this. This the the, the kind of uh, the kind of conditions that many of these people in these ICE facilities are facing. I mean, it it shouldn't be what it is. It shouldn't be as bad as it is. And I have a previous video um, covering that. But um, let me get to why this group is doing this. So the Never Again Action uh, Facebook page says this, quote, Jews are shutting down ICE because when we say never again, we mean it. As Jews, we've been taught to never let anything like the Holocaust happen again. Now with children detained in unacceptable conditions, ICE raids targeting our communities and people dying at the border while seeking safety in the U.S., we are seeing the signs of a mass atrocity. We refuse to wait and see what happens next. Now, um, Teen Vogue actually, which does fa fantastic reporting. I mean, Teen Vogue shockingly does very good reporting on uh, these sorts of issues, but also just on politics in general. Um, but they put out uh, this article uh, saying, Protesters walked 1.6 miles to the Elizabeth Detention Center while holding signs, singing and chanting in Hebrew and English, and blowing shofars, a ram's horn that is used as a musical instrument in Jewish rituals, while calling for closing the camps and abolition of ICE. Quote, I'm a Jewish Latina. The military camps where my people are being held today are concentration camps, just like the camps my people were held in 75 years ago were concentration camps, said protester Tay Phoenix. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. So I asked this question in a previous video on on what's happening in these, these border facilities, and I'm going to ask it again. Who do you think is going to be on the right side of history? Do you think these border agents will be? The mistreatment of these people in these camps, do you think they'll be on the right side of history? Or do you think these protesters and the people fighting back against this mass atrocity will be on the right side of history? I mean, it amazes me that this is even a debate. If you're human, if you feel anything, if you have any ability 
to empathize with people that are not in your position. This should be obvious. It should be obvious that this is what's happening in these facilities is terrible, is disgusting, and something needs to be done. So I'm glad these protesters are standing up. And again, go to neveragainaction.com if you want to be a part of it.